<laughs> right, so here we go. So this is um, the penultimate encouragement. Um, and I'm going to be talking about Psalm 121. Um, but before we actually read the psalm, I want to give you a little bit of background to it. Because as I was um, working through and having a look at this... Um, all right. Should I just carry on? I'll carry on a bit louder, and then if it booms, I'll be apologising like mad. Okay, so I thought um, I'd I'd actually give you a bit of a background to this psalm, um, because as I was uh, studying it, uh, and I I kind of realised what was happening to the people that originally sung it, I just just found it really interesting to sort of see how that relates to, to how we feel about it when we read it. So... Psalm 121 is the second of 15 songs of ascents. Um, and uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what they were. Scholars believe that David wrote four of, these, of those psalms, the song, 15 songs of ascent. They think David wrote four and Solomon wrote one. But Going up the temple um, in Solomon's reign, there were 15 big steps. And one, one of the theories is that there were, there were 15 songs that they used to use because they'd sing one on each step as they got closer and closer to God. There's a, another theory, which it sounds it's a little bit quirkier, um, that uh, as they were singing the songs, the, the, the pitch of the song got higher and higher and higher. So these poor priests would be starting off nice and low, and then gradually it got higher and higher and higher and higher. And I thought that was a bit weird. And, it, and then it was all clear, of course. Because they, they were going for purification rites, so presumably they were just trying to get squeaky clean. So I think they. But that's the only joke, so it's okay. You can, you can relax now. Whew. Okay. All right, okay. Uh, okay, let's try again. You see, I did not want to be Monica. She definitely didn't have an easy time. Right. Because got too much hair. I'd have had a haircut if I'd known. Is that all right? Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, all right. Okay, I won't move. I'm going to stay absolutely still. Okay, so whatever reason these psalms were originally written, one, one thing we do know, the most likely reason for them, was that they were sung by Jewish pilgrims as they were on their journeys to the temple in Jerusalem. And they would, they would go to the temple in Jerusalem three times a year at the Jewish festivals, and they would, they would sing these psalms as they went, as they sort of ascended up to the temple. So if David and Solomon wrote, the ones that David and Solomon wrote were about 3,000 years old, but a lot of them might... three might have been written about 500 years after that. Um, And just to give you a little bit of background on that, you may remember after Solomon's reign, the Jews got a bit sort of, they they really lost the plot and they they started arguing, they split into two kingdoms, um, they stopped following the rules uh, and eventually after 500 years, the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem, captured many of the Jews and they they went into exile for 70 years. And Solomon's, the Babylonians, took all the treasures from Solomon's temple, they took them back to to Babylon, um, and they destroyed the temple. And 70 years later, they were allowed back. God allowed the Jews back, 
And Ezra was asked by God to teach his people to follow his ways again. So Ezra instructed all the people, and part of that was getting them to make this journey three times a year to the temple to make sacrifices and, and to worship God. And we sort of believe that these songs of ascent were actually sung by these pilgrims as they were doing that. After all the hassle they'd had, all the, all the persecution, the being exiled into captivity, and coming back, they had their temple again, they could make these journeys, and these were the songs that they sung. And they're still very special to us now. We're obviously not making that kind of journey anymore. Um, but we can apply these songs of ascent to our spiritual lives not, and our life journey, not just sort of the physical journeys that the Jews had. So Psalm 121 is my favourite. It's only eight verses long. Um, and I, I love it because it's, it's actually easy to remember. For me, because it's only eight verses, I can remember this in the middle of the night. Um, and in sort of dark times for me, I've, I've found this... This psalm has been wonderful and encouraging. And I hope that what, what I've managed to sort of encourage you with today is, is by what it says about how powerful God is, God's powerful involvement in our life, but, but also his really intimate involvement in our life as well. So let's read this. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. So it's a very short psalm. But as you can see, it says so much to us in just eight verses. And the first part makes us think about God's identity, who he is. So in the first two verses, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The psalmist is looking, lifting their eyes up to the mountains. And you can imagine pilgrims lifting their eyes up. Now, here's a, here's a, a photograph, as Ben would describe it, of, uh, of Jerusalem. And all around it, it was like up on a mountain, up on a hill, what well still is. Um, and the temple was at the top of it, uh, right at the top. So wherever you were coming at on your journey towards the temple, you were having to ascend up this hill. You're look, looking up. And of course, for the, in the Old Testament times, that's where God dwelled, was in that temple, right at the top. So the people are looking up to... to um, to the temple on Jerusalem, built on this high hill, and they're looking up at the dwelling place of God as they travelled. Um, and they were greatly encouraged because the prophet Haggai encouraged them, ensuring them that the temple is glorious because God is with them, that his spirit is dwelling in their midst, and that in the future, God will fill his house with even greater splendour and glory. So you can imagine the expectation of the pilgrims as they look to that mountain and they ask this question, where does my help come from? But they're not, they're not asking a question because they don't know the answer. It's just for emphasis. What they're saying is it's a declaration of faith that it is God, the creator of all things, the maker of heaven and earth, who's my helper, who, who looks after me. The, the person, the, the, the creator of all things, who created the very ground I walk on. And for us applying this to our lives, we're looking up to God in heaven uh, and declaring our faith that the God who flung stars into space, who created our DNA, who created the tiniest particles or the biggest galaxies, 
That's who helps us. That's who we're calling on when we call out to God. Um, and I, I don't know about you. I mean, I, I've been to church for a very, very, very long time. And I've known this fact. And it's like, yeah, God helps me. He's the creator of heaven and earth. He's created everything. But just step away from that, that knowledge for, for the moment and pretend you're hearing it for the first time. You know, this is the creator of everything. There would be nothing without him. You know, I, I watched the film Interstellar the other day, and, and there were all these amazing photographs of nebula. I think I've got some right here. Yeah. Stuff like that. God who created that uh, is, is our helper. When we call out to God, we're calling out to someone who is so powerful that they can create that. Uh, it's, just, it's just an amazing thing to sort of remind yourself about, that uh, that... The creator of that is who's helping us. And what, the other thing that struck me as I studied this and I prayed about it was the enormous difference between how the Jewish pilgrims encountered God compared to us. And I realised we have it a whole lot easier. The Old Testament Jews cried out to God by going to the temple, constantly taking sacrifices. Um, they had to have a priest interceding for them. They couldn't get near to God. They had to have a priest there as a go-between. Um, and it, it, it wasn't a nice process. The temple altar, uh, reports say the temple altar ran with blood as a result of the thousands of animals sacrificed. Everyone coming to the temple with their sacrifices. When Solomon built the temple, he had, he had to run water up from, from springs under the temple to continually wash away the, the blood from all these sacrifices. But we don't have that now, because as Christians, Jesus... Jesus Christ has wiped away all of that for us. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. His blood has washed away all of our sins forever. We're not like the Old Testament Jews who had to keep going to the temple with our sacrifices and then we'd have to do it again and then we'd have to do it again. No, Jesus Christ died once, just once for all and all our sins have been washed away and that's forever. Um, and Jesus, we don't have a priest interceding for us because Jesus is the high priest. It says in Hebrews 5, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And, and that means that Jesus is that priest that constantly intercedes for us to God. The tearing of the temple curtain as Jesus died. You remember that as Jesus died on the cross and the temple curtain was just ripped apart. And that marked the end of the physical barrier between us and God. And now when we need God's help, we can just approach him directly through Jesus. We're spotless, we're blameless, we can just cry out to God and, and he hears us. And along life's journey, there are many things that are dangerous. I mean, I know the, the Old Testament Jews obviously had some very, very practical things that, that they were, that dangers that they were facing at the time when they were singing these psalms. Um, but actually, in some ways, that, that is the same for us. There are many physical dangers. We, we deal with sickness and injury. Um, there are wars. There are natural disasters. Um, there are also economic dangers for us as well. Recession, debt, redundancies, spiritual dangers, such as doubt, temptation, depression, um, spiritual warfare, and false teachings. Life is full of danger. So what dangers or threats do you have right now? What dangers or threats do you have in your life? Maybe they're physical ones, maybe they're, um, they're uh, economic ones. But you have dangers in your life that you're, failing, you're, you're having to fight at the moment and you're having to deal with. So 
while we think about that, I just want you just to sort of acknowledge that at the moment. Just have a think. Just take a second to think about the, the dangers that you have in your life. And just acknowledge those to God right now. And just, just in your hearts, just to ask him, uh, the creator of heaven and earth, to, to protect you right now and to help you deal with those dangers. Thank you, Lord. So the first part of the psalm, we talk about who God is. We're talking about how, how great he is, how huge, how powerful, the creator of heaven and earth. But the next parts, the next part, verses 3 to 8, they tell us a little bit more about God's fatherly character. It says, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And the word that impacts me most of all of these is watch. In some translations, this is keeps and keeper, but it's mentioned six times in six verses. The psalmist really wants us to recognise God as as our watchman. When Hannah spoke about Psalm 139 a couple of weeks ago, she talked about there being nowhere to hide from God. He knows everything about us and everything we need. Kat talked about even when she was living a life that was far from God, he still took action to protect her. He was still watching over her and guiding her life. And this psalm continues that theme of God's love and protection with the emphasis on God being our watchman, our keeper. God's identity is to protect to shield, to watch over, to guard, to keep. God does this like a watchman keeping guard over a city or a bird shielding its young in the shelter of his wings. Psalm 91, verse 4, I know we all know and love this one. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. He's watching over you and protecting you. And nowadays, although we know roughly what a watchman is, it doesn't have the same protective significance to us as it would have had to those Jewish pilgrims who first sung this psalm. Watchmen in the Old Testament were vitally important. Without their protection, people wouldn't have been able to sleep at night because, uh, you know, life was very dangerous. They would have had people, uh, you know, they would have been living in fear of enemy attack. So they posted watchmen on towers of the city walls and their job was to look out for any suspicious activity by the enemy tribes. In time, for the, pe- for the people in the time of Nehemiah and Ezra, when they were rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, they felt particularly vulnerable because uh, they had people, enemy were trying to sabotage the rebuilding of Jerusalem the second time it was built um, and to attack the weak points. They specifically posted watchmen in the gaps to protect the city. But sometimes the watchmen failed to do their jobs properly. Sometimes they did fall asleep. Um, when God is your watchman, that will never happen. We're truly safe. I'm very fortunate to be married to an ex-Marine, so I have to be honest, I don't lie in bed worrying about burglars, Um, because I I definitely feel very safe when Paul's there. But he is a deep sleeper, and um, (laughs) how much more protected am I by the creator of heaven and earth, who doesn't sleep and doesn't slumber, who knows all things, who sees all things. He never gets tired and worn out. Um, He carefully watches over us not letting our foot slip on our journey. He never sleeps or slumbers. 
For us in our spiritual journey, God sees the attack of the devil before it comes. He protects us. He warns us. He guides us. His protection is impenetrable. Verses 5 and 6 continue to celebrate God's care for us. But in contrast to the watchman's protective character, these verses show a lovely, fatherly, tender care. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. I can imagine God fussing over us like a protective mother, shading us carefully from the sun in the day and the moon at night, carefully keeping things just right for us. It shows me that God is there not just for the big things, but he also cares about our comfort. He cares about the little things that sometimes we don't even feel are important enough to ask him about. But he cares about all those things as well. And just, just like any parent, he loves to attend to the details. And then the final two verses... The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. And here the psalmist brings it all together. God will watch over your life. The journey that we're on, really, in this psalm is is the journey of our life. And God watches over that. He watches over our coming and our going, both now and forevermore. Life always has ups and downs. We always recognise that life will not be without pain, and loss and disappointment. We get hurt. We, we can suffer terrible loss. It, it can be exceedingly difficult and it's not plain sailing. Life itself is a journey from birth until the day we go to be with our Father. And sometimes it is unbearably hard. This psalm doesn't promise us an easy journey. It doesn't say that it's going to be first class, straight away, to the end of the journey without any problems. But it reminds us that whatever happens, Whatever we suffer on the way, whatever comes to hit us on the way, God will be watching over us and helping us the whole time. We are never tackling the journey alone. The creator of the universe, our father, he was there at the beginning of our journey as we're born. He's with us all along the way, and when he decides it's time for us to end our journey, he'll be there at the finishing line. And then if we know him and love him as our saviour, he'll be with us forever after that. I think that's something that should bring us all a wonderful sense of peace and encouragement on our journey. Um, and Psalm 121 is just a beautiful blessing to carry, us, carry with us on the way. So. Yeah.